What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. It is Friday and you know what that means. We are coming at you with a conversation with someone in the B2B space that is bringing it. I have Ellen Schwartz from Notch on the pod today. She is talking about flipping formats and being more authentic with your demand gen. Oh baby, I love to explore topics like this. She comes at it from a lot of different angles and shares what she is doing to humanize their demand gen at Notch. If you like what we're doing over here, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend that you are enjoying Modern Day Marketer. We do appreciate that. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to explore a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Today, we're going to be talking about flipping formats and being more authentic with your demand, Jen. I am joined by today's guest, Ellen Schwartz, who's the Senior Director of Digital Demand Gen at Notch. Ellen, welcome. How are you this morning? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. I'm excited to explore this topic with you. Demand generation is kind of where I I started my career and my come up, and I know things have changed quite dramatically. But maybe before we jump into the topic, for anyone who's unfamiliar, just kind of give them the brief on Notch and kind of your role and what you're responsible for. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to. I've worked at Notch for about eight months now, but I was a fangirl well before that. So what Notch does is we are a content intelligence platform. And what that means is we actually are able to tie content roles specifically to business ROI or whatever outcome that might look like. So it's really, really exciting. I think any modern day marketer would understand the frustration of really wanting to prove the value of your content, not just with engagement metrics or you know these vanity metrics. So what Notch is actually able to do is look through that entire content journey and understand not just from like first touch to last touch, but what is everything in the middle, those specific assets, what's actually driving value. And it's also redefining what ROI can look like. So as a content marketer by trade, and now I kind of made my way into Demandion, it was always understanding that, you know, content does have a really important role in a customer's journey, but the metrics that you had to prove that were lackluster. Like once you started to dig in and try to really tell your story about content, you just realized that you couldn't be confident saying, oh, this engagement rate is off the charts. Therefore, it's the right thing to continue doing. I like to think about if on LinkedIn, you post that you had a baby, you're good. Like that's going to be your best post of your whole life, right? Like, but you can't post about having a baby every time. So really digging into not just on the social channels, but on your website, for your podcast, for everything that might be content, what is the right format? What's the right message? What's everything? Not just able to see that behind the scenes. I love that. And one thing you mentioned that I want to touch on a little bit, because I think this hinders some of the progressive thoughts when it comes to like demand gen activities and tactics, as you said, vanity metrics and my ears perked up. And I think like what is not modern day marketing is uh, doing things for the spreadsheet or doing things just to get numbers to report up to your boss, that your boss reports up to their boss, that they report to the boardroom. And it's just because these are the numbers that we've always reported. So maybe like we just like start there just in terms of like demand gen. It seems to me that 
a lot of demand gen marketers that are knocking it out of the park and are doing great work for the brands that they support are the ones that aren't necessarily tying themselves to these traditional metrics that every other company is tracking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So that's kind of what I mean. It was like, the more you really start to dig into the metrics that almost that any marketer would have available to them by default, the more you realize that those aren't telling your story. So the other problem with that is it's the only metrics we've had up until this point. So there will be an expectation from anybody above you that you report on these metrics and maybe you just report on them and you don't say anything different. But as both marketers and our marketing leadership and the people who they report into, the CEOs, the boards, even at some points, start to understand content's role, like they're going to ask deeper questions and you're not going to have the right metrics to do that. So there's when it comes to these vanity metrics, like they're not telling you anything. They're not saying you're not able to go deeper with them, I guess is what I want to say to where it's, you can't tell your story. And those marketers who are, like you mentioned, the ones who are really hitting it out of the park, they aren't looking at these for, to rely on these anymore. What people have done in the past, a lot of times is anecdotal. So they'll say, I was able to do this one thing and it worked, I think it's going to scale. And you don't have any metrics behind that to really make you confident. You've got a gut feeling because that's what we've had to rely on as marketers with our content. You know, there's always the, the great debate between do I write for SEO or do I write for my audience? And that, you know, the gut feel for a good content marketer is you write for your audience, but you're being asked for SEO metrics. You're being asked for other like things that you just kind of know in your heart are not the right thing to focus on. A lot of what we have to do at Notch and what I've had to do in my career is change the conversation around what the right ROI metric is or what the right, not even, I don't even want to like limit it to ROI because there's business outcomes beyond ROI that are still valuable. So as a top of funnel marketer, you don't have, even though you're being asked to have a ton of sway over the bottom line, you don't like, my my go-to example is like my LinkedIn post is never going to sell without one touch. It's never going to sell our platform. Like I think I'm hilarious, right? But there's not a single person out there who's going to say, oh, that LinkedIn post is exactly what I need. I have everything I need to take it up to my budget holder. Or if I'm the budget holder, I'm going to go spend whatever it is to like buy this platform. It's a whole journey. And you have to change that conversation, not only within your practice, but up the chain. You have to have the right vocabulary to say to your marketing leader, hey, I know you've had a whole career based on reporting on these metrics, but they're not right anymore. Part of that is because digital analytics in general have evolved. We have so much more access to so much deeper data, but part of it is like we're fighting status quo. We're fighting some people who say, I've made it this far with these metrics. Why are you asking me to do better? So we have to push that conversation a lot of what we do with our audience is help them understand a lot of those intercommunicative bots, right? Like, so how do you take this information and communicate it in a meaningful way? So take it to your rev person, take it to your, your marketing leader. What do they care about and how can you show it with these new metrics that are actually what you need to be focused on? You said so much there. I want to get into the conversation with your boss and just changing the perspective um, before I do that, I want to talk about this kind of new set of metrics. And I think we just, there's been this perception that everything is linear and it's just like, 
pour in tons of volume content, more, 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 more of this will lead to more leads, more leads will lead to more opportunities. And it's just like, eventually that'll lead to more conversations and more customers. When you said like, you know, it, it, the game has changed, like buyers are in control now. And I think we, as consumers, when we get put into that rigid linear process, like I, I'm not going to speak for you, but like, I, it's kind I'm kind of like, okay, I see what you're doing. Like, I'm not interested in this. I'll just go find another solution. So I think good. like, yeah. why is it like some people are tuned into like, we need to change the game a little bit and why others are kind of stuck to the status quo? What a good question. I think it has to do a little bit with your motivation. Are you trying to be the best marketer you can be? Are you trying to really sink your teeth in, understand what makes for a great customer experience? Or are you trying to get through your day, you're learning as you go, or again, you're kind of stuck in that status quo of nobody's asking me for different or for better. So I don't need to provide it. I like that. And I think like when you talk about the the hard part about changing perception internally, there's a reason why the VP of marketing is the VP of marketing or the CMO is the CMO. And they've got there by kind of following this uh, traditional B2B SaaS metric driven playbook. I guess like from your end, like if you see something in your role that is uh, not working or needs to be changed? Like, how do you, how do you start that conversation? Is it a go to your boss? Is it a showcase? Like, I'd love to learn a little bit about how you're doing that. Yeah. So for me specifically, there's a lot of brainstorming and best practice discussion that happens between me and my manager. So we have a great, just like iterative process between us. So it's always looking at the metrics, looking at what's going on, um, notch is a notch user. So what are we seeing in the background as far as like value content sentiment driven, but also just what is helping us feel good and what's helping us feel cool and relevant, I guess I should say. A lot of, so he, I actually report into revenue, which is somewhat unusual for a marketer. There's, I know that's like another, you could have a whole podcast about does marketing go to revenue? Does marketing go to marketing? Who, who, who? It's pretty new that I'm reporting into this. So at the moment it's working out, but it's also like a lot of education around what is marketing doing? Why are we doing it? at the same time as we are trying to change our own conversation. So we just recently got through the like the MQL discussion of exactly what you said. Here's what revenue needs. Here's what our pipeline needs to look like at the end of the quarter. Therefore, we need this many SALs or sales accepted leads this way. We need this many MQLs. And so we need this many leads. That led us into one month we were like, we knew we were so behind and my former manager at the time who was in marketing, he's just like, I understand that I'm going to ask you to do so many events in this month and that it's not going to work, but we need to do that to prove to leadership that it's not going to work. So it didn't matter at that point in time. And this is several months ago that it's like, we all knew as marketers, we're splitting our audience too much. We're doing that. Like we're not, we're going to get the same number of leads and quote unquote MQLs, which of course we were also scoring them far too easy. And we were handing bad leads over. Like we just knew that this engine isn't working because we are only reliant on these metrics that were coming out of rev. And so it's like, how do we like, at that point we had to just do it to do it. 
And that is, we're going to talk, I think, about our coffee and content situation here in or the new format that we're doing. But that's where that came out of. It's just like, we, were, we could see that we we're doing too much, but we had to do it to show that this is like, to show the metrics on the other side, basically. I love that. And the idea of like, hey, we need, like, we need to do this in order to prove that this is why we don't need to do it anymore and, and mm-hmm. creating that use case. And then like marketing reporting into revenue now, like is, is that a, are you finding it more of a challenge to kind of flip the script and say, we don't want to track these things in the traditional way. We want to start doing this because we believe it'll lead to more pipeline. Like, is it more of a challenge or is it less of a challenge based on kind of your current reporting structure? It is both um, yeah. it, because I think because we're so unique here at not like not wants to change this whole conversation globally. We don't want you to feel like you have to focus on only the MQL or only see first touch to sale and have no idea what's happening in the middle. So even we are like, we're drinking our own Kool-Aid. We're focusing on what the data, what our notch data is showing us about our content. But because of that, we've got, it's a bit of education for our rev team, but it's also such strong partnership with them that we're making decisions alongside them. They are in this decision process so early that we don't have to justify it late. Like once we've put all this work into it on the other side. So having them in the conversation early has been really interesting. I was really hesitant at first to like buy into this, right? Cause I've been, I've been a marketer for 10 years or however long I've always reported into marketing and never had to bolster my decisions. Whereas now I cannot rely on like the marketing hive mind to just let me to just say, Oh yeah, we've seen that before. And it works for X. So I can't, like I have to basically explain myself at every step, which is proving to be a really valuable exercise. So it's not just me saying, we've done it in the past, let's try it in the future. It's me saying, I've thought through what our end goal is and I've seen this work in the past. So therefore let's try X. And I do have like the flexibility at Notch to fail, which is I think super valuable. There's a total commitment to, if you're going to fail, let's fail fast and let's really learn from it. But like my, my plan up front has to be so much more thought out because I have to explain it at a level that isn't like my audience shifted basically, right? Like in a super nerdy marketer way, I'm not speaking to mature marketers. I am speaking to people who have been marketing adjacent. And now I have to really say, this is the reason I want to engage people in this way. I'm looking at your funnel up here. And so we need this level of casual, like casual conversation, or I'm looking at your funnel down here and I need them to see the value of the product in action. And they get that, right? And so marketers know how to speak to the funnel, but even then it's like, we just have so much of that contextual data added as well, that it's like, we really can hone our messaging. We can hone our formats. We can hone what we need to do and partner with Rev in that way. And part of my job that I'm proud of is like one of my like goals for this exact quarter is to just strengthen my relationship with our sellers straight up. Like that's just, I need to know what their, what their problems are. What are their challenges? What are they getting or not getting out of marketing? How am I communicating that to them? And like just strengthening that feedback loop. I love it. I was just talking earlier this morning about there always becomes a breaking point at any organization that 
whether it's marketing or sales, like there's only so far each of those groups can go by themselves that align the earlier, the better in alignment um, typically is something that uh, you want to think about when just trying to organize people and teams around uh, things that you're driving towards. A hundred percent. And that then as we work with our own clients, that's part of our conversation we have with them is expanding that not just for marketing and rev, but who are your content stakeholders? And how do you talk to them? How do you take your content to them and say, here's how it's going to help you? And again, from the beginning, like get these stakeholders in the room right away. And our like the thing that always sticks with people is we even say, like, get lawyers in the room, like get your legal team sitting at the table from inception. Because what that's going to do is eliminate that step when you've you have the perfect go-to-market, right? You have the perfect something, something figured out. And here comes legal to say, nope, nope, nope. Like if they're in there from the beginning, you get to ask. And then if they were to start saying, nope, 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 you get to say, well, how come you didn't flag this sooner? But bringing them in earlier means that for the most part, it'll just be like, we've seen this the whole way through. We think it's great. God bless. Let's go. We've all been in that situation before if we've been in the game for a little bit. Let's talk about just like a a specific example about uh, kind of flipping the format. You you mentioned uh, a few months ago, or, you know, it's kind of like proven out you're running events. It's like, this isn't going to work, but we need to prove this out in order to like make a change. Maybe talk about like that process. And then like, what is a format that you flip towards that seems to be driving different, but better results? Totally. So the, the month in question was this past October. I think I had been at Notch for a whopping seven weeks. And we were like talking about all of these different ways that we need to, we need to be standing up our ABM program. We need to be engaging the top of the funnel, but also this persona, but also we need leads and also, also, also. And so at the top of October, we were like, right, we've got four webinars planned for the end of October, like bam, 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 like days after each other, which again, I'm sitting there saying, this is work. <laughs> but again, like we had this the stress put on. So basically I, I went to my boss at the time and said, I, I just don't have, I need one of these to be a lighter lift. I cannot be running these full fledged events. And of course everything's digital because it's COVID. Like even though they're digital, I can't be running these concurrently the way they're set up now. One of these has to shift. And out of that came coffee and content where it just became, instead of it being like a quote unquote, a full on webinar where you've got an outline and you have you know, maybe you have slides, maybe it's panel, whatever it is. Like you have so much prep work ahead of time. It just turned into coffee and content where we're just going to talk about content with whoever shows up in the room. Um, we scheduled, I think we had four sessions, four hour long sessions across the different time zones, which just allowed people to kind of choose their own adventure, fit it into your schedule. It's very casual, very light lift, and it worked super well. And so we had, we had a bit of an example from our own closed community. So we run a community for content creators uh, called Pros and Content, which I really wish I could claim the pun off of that name, but I can't. Um, so we knew that there was this demand in the market for just the space for content leaders to gather and talk shop because content specifically and content marketing by, like, by extension is pretty new. And it's really quickly becoming apparent, again, to people who are in it, that a mature marketing program will flip to where content is calling a lot more of the shots and a lot more of the strategy. And with that comes all kinds of challenges. And that's exactly what we're seeing coming out of these conversations. So 
flipping this format to be something that was really, really human and really accessible wound up being the exact right mix for us and for our audience. So it's a bit of a silver lining to that crazy month of just knowing my own skills and knowing what we had to offer. And also just kind of knowing that we've been in at that point, we've been in the pandemic for 18 months and people are exhausted. And even just seeing like our reg rates and our engagement rates drop from a typical webinar, it's like something's got to, something has to shift here. Something is, we have to mix it up. We can't just keep putting our, our foot on the gas with these webinars that we can tell are just starting to fizzle. I would imagine that you're not the only person that is in a marketing role that has raised their hand and said, we have to change this. Like this isn't uh, the way we need to roll. Why don't we try X or why don't we cut this out and double down on Y through your experience of just like flipping the format and changing and making a change for the better. Like what sort of advice do you have for individuals that are opening up their laptop every day and just they're doing something because they're being told this is what we do, but they know deep down, like it's not resonating and it's something that we need to stop or change. Yeah. It's important to follow your gut on those. And I would say find the evidence that you can find for that. And whether that's internally with your own data, you know, like I mentioned, showing those reg numbers that were just stagnating, the engagement was poor, like people, I could tell from my internal data that people were just tired of it, whether we were exciting or not, like I can get up and be bubbly almost eight hours a day. Like that's just who I am. I'll make it work. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't fight those numbers, even though they're pretty, they're pretty basic, but they were very telling. And then after that too, just looking at our market, um, (laughs) marketing competition, I guess, if you like, we don't necessarily feel like we've got a challenger in the market, but our, we need to be the best marketers because we're selling to marketers. So what were other people doing and having success with looking at some benchmarking, like there's great digital benchmarking out there that you can find with a quick Google and taking that back and saying, it's partially like that emotional appeal. Like for us, it's like, we're just not exciting as we, as exciting as we need to be. We were having good events. We were having okay, like results, but there's the logical appeal with the data and there's the emotional appeal with the outcomes and how we're being perceived. So someone who's sitting there knowing that this isn't right, I think needs to feel empowered to dig deeper and understand what, how can I tell this story? And if it's not with data, it's with comparison, which totally stinks sometimes, but it also shows like other people are doing X, Y, Z and getting similar results or different or better. I love it. Maybe we close it out with this. I think just like you're in a unique spot where you've got kind of like the content background in a demand role, brand in demand. I think we're seeing just in general across the board, the lines are blurring uh, in between those two roles. How do you think teams that have kind of like their content and brand teams separated from their kind of like demand gen teams, everyone in just different functional groups. Is there any just like feedback or recommendations you you would make or suggest to those different groups within marketing in order to kind of put their hand across the aisle and better align things that you've been a part of or experience that you think work? Yeah. If those teams are separate, what I see a lot of times is they're working harder than they need to. 
content and demand gen have to be in lockstep for either team to be seen as successful, not only internally, but externally from the rest of the rev department, right? So if you're pushing out content for the sake of content without talking to demand gen, you are missing at least one KPI, I mean, at least. And if demand gen isn't going back to content to say, this isn't working, then there, it's just a broken feedback loop and everyone will be spinning their wheels. There's got to be a trust between those teams that I can say, I need you to do this or this isn't working. And there has to be just that synergy to use a totally business word, but I, but it's just like, that's what it is. Like the more aligned content and demand gen can be, the more efficient everyone will be. And a lot of times it will allow content teams to free up and say, I don't have to write for SEO because my demand gen person just told me I need this, like, give me this statement big and bold so that I can send it out. Like this is, I need this on a neon sign so that I can tell the world what we're doing. And I think content people, content marketers, content creators, even designers, like that frees you up in a lot of ways. Like you're not guessing what demand gen needs. Your demand gen is literally telling you what they need. So I like, even in my, my previous life as more of a field marketer and more of a email marketer kind of in content specifically versus demand gen, if I'm just churning content out because I think it's going to work, there's a really obvious solution, which is asking the person who's going to use it. Is this useful to you? And that's where it is. So we're starting to map a lot of our content. And this is not groundbreaking necessarily, but if you map a lot of your content against the funnel, but I'm even going to go to my sellers and say, talk me through your sales process. What did you use of what we're creating? When did you use it? And was it effective? So there's a lot, I think there are other tools that will do that for you, but I'm talking like, you know, my seller drops a link that's not tracked in an email or they're just attaching a PDF or like, they're just doing things, you know, it's, it's not the dark social, it's like the dark funnel, right? It's like, they're just using it as humans use it. And it's, it is hard to track that back, no matter what software you use to track all of these different shares and different movies. But yeah, it's, I'm always an advocate of human connections, no matter where you are in your career, like whatever your problem is, whether it's in marketing and whether it's reporting up to your manager down to like pretty much anywhere in your career, it's going to be that you have to buck up and have a conversation. Such a good place to end on. I love that. Have a conversation, hit human t- emotion, a lot of conversation around cr- uh, cross-functional collaboration, really good stuff. Before I let you out of here, Ellen, we're marketers here. So plug something that's happening at Notch. Where do, where do you want to send people? Absolutely. Would love to see people um, show up at our coffee and content sessions. They're held every month at the beginning, the first week. I need to work better. It's like, it's the first week that a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday hit at the same time. Right. But they're across different time zones. There should be one that fits your schedule. Um, And the other thing is I mentioned our community, which is where content marketers are getting together to basically have conversations just like this, uh, just on, we're currently on Slack and we're fostering one-to-one connections. We're adding Ask a Pros, we're doing AMAs, everything that we need as content continues to mature. And as we continue to take on those leadership roles within within our chosen field. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes. Alan, thank you so much. Learned a ton and appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. This is great. 
Go check out the work that they're doing over at Notch. I am loving it. So many good nuggets, so much good information. Love her insight when it comes to demand gen and how to make it more human. Take care. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next week with more Modern Day Marketer. Talk to you soon.